This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, let's start. All right, so we're going to cover some of the questions that we did not cover last time. Okay, number 17. If we see how great Olam Haba is, then why do we cry when somebody passes away? In other words, when you when you have to go be Menachem um, Avol, right? And what do you what do you tell the people who are sitting Shiva? She's in a better place. He's in a better place. She's with the Avos. She's with the Imahites. She's with the Avos. She's with Hashem. So the, the question is, if that's the case, why are you sitting on the floor? Why did you rip your clothing? Why are you sad? Imagine someone's in a big snowstorm in New York. We just had one, and he gets his parents on the last flight. Jet blue to Miami, and it's 85 degrees in Miami. Would you cry? No. They're calling you from Miami. We're in a great place. It's nice and warm. So it's a very good question. The question is, so why are you sad? If you really believe in Ganeiden, and you really believe that they're sitting with Hashem and with the others of Hussein and all the tzaddikim, then why are we sad? This is a very important question that I talk about um, that I talk about a lot. Rabbi Wallerstein? Yes. Sorry, uh, it's just the camera's... Um, is there any way of moving the camera away? We can't see your whole face. No, you want it closer. Sorry. No, f- further away from you. Further from you. No, me. no. Now you see my whole face, no? Further. I'm looking in the little box. Yeah, a bit further, that's it. And a bit down. You see me? but just the top of your head. Oh? <laughs> you, you don't see my whole face right now? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. That's fine. That's fine. I think closer better. Further I disappear. Um, anyway. Anyway, just listen to what I'm saying. You don't have to look at my face. Um, remove spotlight. Let's remove spotlight. Ah, okay. You see me now? Hello? Aviv, you there? Yes. yes. Okay, we're good? Yeah, yeah, we're good, we're good. Okay. Anyway, so that's the question, everybody. The question is, um, the question that we're asking here is, why are we crying? Why are we upset if we really think they're in Ganeiden and they're in a much, much better place? So the answer is as follows. Life, what is life, girls? What is life? We talked about it last time. Life is time. Right when a person's time is up, they don't have any more life. So, so life is time. What's time? What's so? What's so special about being, having time? Time is potential. As long as you have time, you have life. You could do anything. You could say baruch Hashem. You can make a bracha to Hashem. Um, you can say amen. You can make someone happy. There's a lot of things you can do. So, there's a mission in Pirkei Avos. And the Mishnah in Pirkei says that a moment on this world of good deeds, Maisim Taivim and Chuma, is worth more than the whole Olam Haba. One moment on this world, girls, of doing a good deed is worth more than the whole Olam Haba. Okay, we don't know what Olam Haba is, so you're not telling me anything. 
says the Mishnah continues, one moment in Olam Haba is more enjoyable than all the pleasures of this world. So one moment of Olam Haba is greater than all the pleasures of this world. And one moment being in this world of doing tshuva and maizim taivim is worth more than the whole Olam Haba. So it's not normal what potential is worth. Therefore, when a person dies, along with him dying, his potential dies. Potential unrealized. Potential Sorry about that, Rabbi Wallerstein seems to have gone off. We'll try and get him back on. Potential, unrealized. A person dies and there's no more potential. He can't do anything. He has no life. That is tragedy. Because one moment of life on this world is, is, is amazing. So that's why we mourn when someone dies, now a girl asked me a, a really good question. Um, there's a story, just to show you what potential is of a, a true story of an old man. He was about 90 years old, maybe yeah, about 90 years old, and he had a very, very bad stroke, and his brain died. He was brain dead. He was brain dead. And he was on all kinds of machines, uh, respirator, heart machine, breathing machines, all kinds of machines, but they tested his head. So he was really dead, but according to Jewish law, it's when your heart stops, not when your brain's dead. So he was on all this life stuff and they couldn't take him off. And uh, I think someone at Lake, but I don't know exactly, a young man who was 24 years old, his wife was in her ninth month, was in a terrible car accident and his liver got lacerated, got cut, and they needed a liver to do a liver transplant to save his life. So they went to the rabbis and they said, could we take the old man's liver to save this young man? The old man was already 90 and he finished He finished um, Shas many times. He had great-great-grandchildren. Um, really, you know, and he was dead anyway. He was brain dead. So um, can we have his liver? And it said, the Chacham and Paskin, that a Jew, as long as he, his heart is beating, you're not allowed to take his, his organs. Nope, we can't help it. But the 24-year-old kid has so much potential, and his wife's about to give birth. And you could, this man's already 90-something, and he, he's anyway brain dead. No, no, you cannot take his liver. So I asked my girls in seminary, what does a 90-year-old brain-dead man, what's his potential? He doesn't have any more potential. He's brain-dead. If you take him off the machines, he's going to die. So what's his potential? And this very smart girl in my seminary raised her hand and said, Rabbi Wallerstein, as long as he's alive, 
any in Jewish law, any person that comes to visit him gets the mitzvah bikachilim. So his potential, as long as he's alive, is to give other people mitzvahs who are coming to visit him. So wherever there's life, even the person's brain dead, he has potential. Another girl said, and what about all the people who are saying to Hillel that there should be a miracle? So he's causing Klyestrel and his family to say to Hillel, so he has the potential to cause other people to doubt for him. Amazing. Brain dead person has potential, and therefore you cannot take an organ. To all the girls that are listening, or Hashem, your brain alive, you're alive. Allah has kama kama. Surely you who could do things, you're not brain dead, Khashem. Your potential is amazing. And the problem with a lot of us is that we really don't believe that we have any potential. Great Sadik said that there's no extras in the world, not even not even a blade of grass. Hashem made no extras, nothing extra, nothing extra. And therefore, if you're bo- if you wake up in the morning, means you're not extra. If you were extra, Hashem would take you off the world. So if you got up this morning, girls, you woke up, you say, Thank you for giving me back my neshama. What's the chemla? What's the, why am I thanking Hashem for giving me my life back? If it says that your soul goes at night into Shemayim, into Ganeidan, into Yeshiva Shalom, my law, so why are you thanking Hashem that your soul came back to this miserable earth? And the answer is, you must really love me. You gave me back my soul. You gave me back my life. So now I have potential to, for another day. Amazing what I did today. What I could do today. So you have to look in the mirror and not say, uh, you know, I'm upset. Uh, I'm depressed. Depressed? What are you depressed about? Hashem just announced by waking you up that you are needed in his world. You are not extra. Now you girls have to figure out why am I needed in his world? And at night before you go to sleep, did I do something good today? Did I help someone? If I did, then I am needed in the world. Did I make a brach? Did I, did I do something in this world? Or did I lay in my bed depressed and do nothing? And even that, you get up the following the next morning because Hashem believes today she's going to wake up. Today she's going to do something. That's why we say ani before any other brach. You don't have to wash your hands. You don't have to go to the bathroom. Your mouth stinks. You, 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 you're just opening your eyes. There's gook in your eyes. But the first thing you have to do is when you wake up, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm up. Oh my gosh, that means Hashem needs me in his world today. Wow! You're jumping out of your bed. Yeah! Hashem, you need me! I need you. You need me. What a crazy relationship we got. So that's the answer to that question. Very sad if someone doesn't wake up. Because that means they have no more time, which means they have no more potential. Even a person who's brain dead has potential to cause and to say to Hillam and to Daven. So that's the answer to that.
Very good question, whoever asked it out there. Um, very good question. All right. What else? How does, uh, question number 15, this is a big one. How does someone keep on growing? I take it not taking hormone shots physically, but but spiritually. So the first thing to keep on growing is not to look back what you accomplished, but to look forward what you could accomplish. Very different. In other words, you can look back. I did this. I did that. You know, I finished this. I finished that. So that's it. I don't got to do anything anymore. But that's wrong. That's totally wrong. You have to look at, to keep growing, you have to look at what could I do? Where am I going? Not just where am I coming from, but where I'm going. How do we know this? How do we know this? Because in Pashas Lechelcha, Hashem said, leave and go to the land I'm going to show you. It's not good enough to be happy that you left Haran and all the troubles behind, but you be a bench if you and Hashem says I'm going to bench you. You're going to be the Avon Hamagami. You're going to be the head of the, all the nations because you're going forward. Person has to go forward. You can't live. You can't live in your mistakes. You can't live in your past. Jews don't live in our past, but we learn from our past. We learn from our past. One time, there's a mitzvah, sort of a mitzvah. To live in your past. Anybody there know the answer to this question? When is it a mitzvah to live in your past? And the answer is by the Seder. By the Seder, we say, I'm like, I left Mitzrayim. My father in law's meaning was to put a sack over their shoulder and to and to walk around the table and say, This is the way the Jews left Mitzrayim. On the night of the Seder, we do go back into um, into our pain, into being an Eved, because the Seder does both. The Seder goes forward, the first two, Chometu Matzah um, and Marar, is going backwards, and the next two, dipping, which is like a king, and sitting and leaning, which is like a king, is going forward. So in Manashtana, you have, I remember... I'm not living in it, but I remember what we went through. But I'm not. St- I'm not living there. I'm not living there because the second two is getting out. The same thing with the whole Haggadah. The beginning of the Haggadah is the ten plagues and Mitzrayim and and Lavan Arami. But as you go on in the in the Haggadah towards the end, towards benching, towards the Shulchan Aruch, towards everything, we sing Hallel. Hallel is not living in my despair and my depression and what I went through. It's like, I, I know what I went through and I'm going to use that to help others. I'm going to use that to grow. No get, no pain, no gain. Struggle muscle. But I'm not going to live there. Those people, they get depressed and they're on medicine and they're sleeping till four o'clock in the afternoon and they can't, you, you got to get up. It's What does it say? It's not a failure to fall. It's a failure not to get back up. So, so if you look at the Haggadah, it's true. We went through a lot, and and, and we, we read it. But towards the end of the Haggadah, right, we say hello. And what's the last line in the Haggadah? Very important. I mean, it's not Pesach here, but this is very important. Listen, everybody. What's the first beginning of the Haggadah? 
We start off in a very bad place. We were slaves in Mitzrayim. That's how we begin the story. Yes, we are conscious of conscious of of where we're coming from, but we're not staying there because at the end of the agada, the last thing is Mashiach when Hashem kills the Malacham Aves and brings Tzchias Amesim B'Karav and brings Mashiach. So you start off on Vodim Ayinu. Yes, you have to recognize, you know, that you went through the Holocaust, the person went through the Holocaust. But you can't live in the Holocaust. I mean, you become a victim of the Holocaust. You don't want to be a victim of the Holocaust because then you're still in the Holocaust. You can't go forward. You want to be a survivor of the Holocaust. The survivors are all our grand- your grandparents, my grandparents, my parents, all the survivors, they weren't the victims. Can you judge the victims? No, chas v'shalom. The person goes through a very hard time and he can't get out of it. So be it. Hashem's not angry at them. Don't worry. I'm not worried about that. But the people who, who, who are the victors, not the victims, it's, it's, it's not living in the past. It's like, okay, I went through this. How am I going to use this to make me stronger and to help others because I understand them? So that's, we see that that's the Haggadah. That's the Haggadah. Same thing in Purim. Megillah starts off really bad. Haman says, we have the right to kill them. Taf, Nashim, children, babies, women, men, everybody's going to die. Everyone's going to die. Megillah starts in a really bad way. And Klaistrel went to the party. It starts in a very bad way. But what's the end of the Megillah? The Mordechai went out like a king and, and the whole class was saved and Haman was hung with his 10 sons. So yes, we had a hard time, but in the end, you got to go forward. person has to go forward. It's very, very important for a person to go forward, not to get stuck in their stuff. You have to, you have to recognize the stuff and not deny it, but you have to use it to go forward. So how does someone keep growing? If he continues and continues, and you know what? You can't know that you're growing Unless you do a cheshben and nefesh, a cheshben and nefesh at night that you sit down and you think about all you did that day. And then you know if you grew. Did I waste the whole day? Was I watching movies the whole day? Was I watching television the whole day? Was I babbling on my phone? Did I waste my whole day? Then you're not growing. Or if yesterday I spoke on my phone for an hour and tonight I spoke on my phone for 10 minutes, oh, you grew. You grew big time. So if you don't make a cheshben in the morning and a cheshben at night, then you don't really know if you're growing. It's sort of like a person has to measure themselves. You know, I'm five foot four, now I'm five foot five. You know, they have to measure themselves to see that they're growing. Okay, let's go to the next question. Uh, That's a good question, but it's a very long answer. Oh, this is a hard one. Okay. Okay. Um, I'll show you a little bit of a. Oops, lost my plug. Then we're going to get disconnected. Hold on. I'm going to. Sh- I want to show you a little diagram. Very fascinating diagram. I'm going to get to it. Just plug back in. Okay. So here's the question. Here is the question. Where are you? 
Hey, where are you? Where are you? Kabbalists? I don't know what you're talking about. Kabbalists? Um, like the pro, through the whole shit of crisis. Ah. Okay, you ready, everyone? If Hashem made us that we are attracted to the other gender, boys to girls, girls to boys, then why is it socially degrading, or not only socially degrading, but halakhically, to have feelings for boys if Hashem obviously wanted us to have some sort of feelings as he created us like that? Okay. So, first of all, everything has its time. Okay, that's number one. I want to show everyone a little diagram. I hope you can see it on my paper. Very fascinating diagram. Hold on, I'm going to draw it for you. It's called, in psychology, the PLUS syndrome. The PLUS. All right. Can everyone see this? Hmm. It's in the camera. Okay, so so this is you, everybody, on the bottom of this vertical. Hmm, this is not so easy. Me, where are you? On the bottom of this vertical line. That's you, that little circle. Okay, so we have relationships that are vertical when we're, when we're born. On top of the vertical line, you could draw this at home, your vertical line. On top of the on top of the vertical. I don't know how to use this, but okay. On the top of the vertical line, that's the top, and that's the bottom. We're going to put a B for bottom, B for bottom, T for top. Okay. That's you, the baby on the bottom, B for the baby. Okay. Now, you got your vertical line going to the top. So, so children, children, the relation, the way Hashem develops our relationship is called a vertical relationship when you're, when you're young. And that is that you're on the bottom of this line, right? You're on the bottom of the line. And on top of this line is all your vertical relationships. Who's that? Your father, your mother, your teacher, Hashem. Everyone is, everyone is above you. You're on the bottom. Everyone's above you. Okay. That's your beginning relationship. And mostly you take you take from everyone that's above you. A baby doesn't give, just give an agita, but it doesn't really give. Um, it gives dirty diapers, but it, it, it ta- it's a taker. You have to change the baby. You have to nurse the baby. You have to give the baby a bottle. You got to feed them when they have a little bit to eat. Then when they start eating, you, you have to, the baby is a taker. When a, a, a human being comes to the world, he's totally a taker. Then Hashem has to teach them how to become a giver. So your parents support you, your mother, your father support you, they feed you, they pay for school, your teacher teaches you, Hashem is there for you. Everything is above you. As you get older, I'm drawing again, you can take your paper, don't make a cross cut, so make a plus. You develop it's called horizontal relationship going from side to side horizontal this is you over here okay and now you start to have friends friends this is you and you start to have these friends now friends right it's going across now by the way now you have your plus that's the plus sideways so now we're doing our horizontal so you start to make friends in school 
and you, you're still taking, it's a give-take relationship. If you give me your snack, I'll give you some snack. You give me retention, I'll give you some attention. It's a, it's a, it's a give-and-take type of thing. And you begin to have a relationship of give and take. Now, at the end of the, at the, not at the end of the horizontal, but almost at the end of the horizontal, you want to get married. So now, really, marriage is not a give and take. Marriages that are give and take, like I'll give you something, but then I'm going to take something. So then I'm really not giving you. If I hand you a, a dollar and then I take back the dollar, I didn't give you anything. Maybe you had it for a moment, but I didn't leave you with anything. So marriage is not good if it's give and take. If I'm like, I'll go shopping with you, but then you got go with me. It's not, that's not a relationship. Relationship is give and give. You're not interested in taking from the other person. It's a give and give, you know, relationship. But the other person is giving back to you. The next relationship is a parent to a child. So first relationship, it's godless. This whole thing is godless. The first relationship a person has in life as a child, he's a total taker. The last human relationship that a person has is a parent. After you get married, you have children. You're a parent. A parent's relationship with his child, parent is not interested in taking anything from his child. Parent is only interested in giving. So as a child, you're only a taker. As a parent, you're only a giver. You're not, don't give me nothing. Just don't give me agitum, the parents say. Now you have gone through all these different relationships now you're able to have the correct relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, To understand that God is a giver and he's not a taker and he's not interested in give and take. And he's not interested in taking at all. He's not a child. He doesn't want to just take. He's not a friend or a, or a husband and wife where, where, where it's even a give and a give. He just wants to give. He's a parent. Of harachamim, of vinu malkeinu. To understand what that means, you have to get to that relationship. So that's the the plus relationship, but I speak. I speak to. It's not really for the kids, but just to give you an understanding. So I speak to to fathers and mothers about a very interesting phenomenon. And the interesting phenomenon, a lot of you kids are going to shake your heads, is that mothers give unconditional love to their sons, to their daughters, because they're women and their children are female. Their daughters. They judge them a little bit by saying, when I was your age, I did this. I made my bed and I never did that. But the father was never that girl's age because he's a guy. So he doesn't say that. And many times it causes Shalom bias problems because the father's protecting the daughter against the mother. And the mother's like, wait, you married to me, not her. And it's just an, it's a father's relationship is unconditional because he was never a girl. So his daughter's get a very different relationship than his sons. His sons, he kills them. Why don't you get it for chakras? Why don't you daven? Why don't you learn more? When I was your age, I went to yeshiva. I always had kibbutz of amen. And then the mother interferes and says, hey, well, you weren't such a tzaddik. And she gets, because she gets unconditional love. The way Hashem created us is men give unconditional love to their daughters and women give unconditional love to their sons. Now, why? Why? Because Hashem put the emotions of male, female into the world, but those emotions of unconditional love from a male to a girl should be coming from her father until she's old enough to get that from a husband. 
but the the emotions and the relationship of having a healthy male relationship should only be coming from a healthy father or grandfather. Nowhere else, because any anywhere else it's corrupt. There's other things physical and other things going on. In halacha, in, in the halacha, in the Shulchan Aruch, a father and his daughter do not have yichud or any of those laws, because a healthy father, of course, we're talking about, because his relationship with his daughter is, is really from Hashem, and that relationship is supposed to change when she's 17, 18, whatever it is, because she has to get to the ultimate relationship, and the ultimate relationship is not to be a daughter. The ultimate relation is to be a mother. As we learned that a parent gives the relationship that Hashem gives, gives an unconditional love to their children. So for this girl who had this unconditional love from her father, right, now she needs to get married, to have children, so she can give unconditional love to her children and be like Hashem. So I talk to fathers a lot to spend time with the daughters because we as men, we grow up that the chinuch of our daughters is for our wives. And, and I talk to women very much to, to take their sons out and to speak to them. I'm not talking to learn Gemara with them, but emotionally, a, a boy... Okay, I'm going to make a statement here. Emotionally, a boy who has a good relationship with his mother will be have a good relationship with his wife. And emotionally... A girl who has a good relationship with her father will have a good relationship with her husband. Why? Because the first, let's talk about the daughter, the first male relationship that she has in her life when she's born, one, two, three, four, five, six years old, is her father. That's the first male relationship. And if she fails in that relationship, that relationship fails, and we got a problem in the next relationship. And a mother who's very good to her son has a good relationship. His first female relationship is with his mother. And if that fails, then we have a hard time taking it to the next step. Now, it's not a law. It's not always, it doesn't always happen like that. But percentages are very strong that way. And that's why the girl who asked this question, that's why Akash Baruch Hu gave us the feeling, not for some guy on WhatsApp, or some guy who's cute in school that you saw that working in the store, the pizza store. No, it's for your husband. That's why he created those feelings. And to use those feelings later on when you're supposed to. You know, every everything has its time. Everything has its time. So that's the that's the answer to that question. Now, there's a very um Number 25, if Hashem gives us a challenge that we can cope with, why do we find it hard? And why do some people have so many challenges? So that saying is not a correct saying. It is and it isn't. People are going through a very hard time. They don't want to hear from you. Well, Hashem never gives you something you can't handle. They don't want to hear that. They're thinking in their head, well, then let, let Hashem give it to you and you handle it. But what does that mean? Hashem never gives you these are all nisyayinus. These are all tests. Now, a test means that you might get it right and you might get it wrong. So if I ask everyone who's listening today, what does one plus one equal? It's not a test. You all know it's two. So I'm not testing you. If I ask you for the third theory in physics, right, of, I don't know, whatever it is, and you never learn physics, it's also not a test. You're not going to know the answer. 
So a test means you learned it, but I don't know if you know it. If I know for sure you don't know it, it's not a test. If I know for sure you do know it, it is a test. So the saying really means that Hashem doesn't give you a test that you can't pass, but it doesn't mean you will pass. Because if you can't pass it, guess what, girls? It's not a test. Just like a test on a subject you never learned, it's not a test. So a test from Hashem, the hard things that we go through, means you could pass it. You have the ability to pass it. It doesn't mean you will. You have the ability to fail also. Otherwise, it's also not a test. So a test means you have the ability to fail and you have the ability to pass. Why do people have more tests than others? There's Gugulim, there's Tikunim, there's different reasons. We don't know the reasons, but some people have much less tests and some people have much harder tests. But but who you are, if you could not pass the test, you would definitely not never have that test. That's for sure. Okay, so that's the answer. It's very misconstrued, very misunderstood. And when you see people never who don't pass the test, right? Um, it may not be their fault, but they had the, everyone has the ability. Hashem doesn't give. Otherwise, it's not a test. It's not a test. When you put me through something you knew I couldn't fail. So why? Why do some people fail? Why do some people don't fail? There's emuna. There's emotions. There's mental health. There's a lot of things. But Kesh is a dying. He, he has din v'cheshbon. Din is what you did, but cheshbon he takes it to cheshbon. Everything you went through, your history, he takes it all into cheshbon, and only God knows the cheshbon. So he's the only one that could actually do that. So that's the you know that's the answer to the question. And I, I have to tell you that um, I'll tell you a story that happened to me, um, and then we'll end with that. So there was a I went I went I was in California in LA many years ago and um, my flight was leaving at 12 o'clock midnight and my speech was over at 5 o'clock and they asked me there was never a lot of deaths that year and they asked me if I could speak to a group of girls who were orphans I said what age is it 6 to 16 okay 6 o'clock go to this house and give them chizik okay I figured 4 girls 5 girls I walked in and Nebuch was 23 Yishaymas, 23 orphans sitting in a sitting in a, a semicircle and I was in the middle. And I was like shocked that there were so many kids there. But Nebuch, there was a lot of tragedies, cancer and a car accident, all kinds of stuff. In fact, there were two kids there that had that lost both parents in a car accident. Okay, I got up and I gave my, my speech about Moshe Rabbeinu he couldn't talk and he had a lisp and he my mom's there, they threw him into base lechem. Um his son Abshalom tried to kill him, his father in law Shaul tried to kill him. Everybody pretty much tried to kill David Amalek. And look, through all that trauma, he wrote to heal him. Yosavat Sadeh, who went through more trauma than Yosavat Sadeh? His brother threw him without any clothing into a pit of snakes and scorpions. Then he didn't die. They sold him to the Mitzrayim. Then he was bought by Potiphar. Then Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. Then he ran away, ended up in jail. Like, whoa, whoa, look what happened to him. And what happened? He saved the world. So I'm trying to tell them that just because you have trauma, he became Yosef Hatzadeh. From his trauma, he got a, he got a special name. 
Yosef had tzaddik, not Yosef anymore. David, because of what he went through, got a name, David HaMelech. Wow. Moshe got the name of being the Rebbe of Klai Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu. So I said, you are all went through this hard life, but you could use your trauma to help others. And I was, you know, I know when I'm on, when I'm on fire, I know when I'm not on fire. I was on fire and the kids were mamish eating it up. And there were some of the single parents that lost a husband or wife. They were there and they were like, like, like you spoke amazing. I said, okay, questions. Anybody have questions? And this little girl, I, Mama, when I say the story, I see her. This little girl, Devairi, sitting in front of me. Rabbi Wallerstein, could I ask you a question? Little kid. I said, sure. I figured, what are you going to ask me? She looks at me with these big brown eyes. And she says, did you have a mommy when you were seven? I said, yeah. And then she looked at me again with her big brown eyes and said, do you still have a mommy? And I said, I had to say the truth. I said, yeah. And she goes, oh. I was like, that's a funny reaction. You don't know my mother. I'm like, what's that? But anyway, she says, okay. She gets up. They had a bunch of candy in the kitchen and stuff for the kids, potato chips and popcorn. They all got up. And the older girls, the older girls, got up and said, Red Wallstein, we're really sorry, but we have to leave. Uh, we have homework. Okay? Girls, it took, I spoke for 40 minutes. It took two minutes. And they were all gone. I lost the whole crowd, my whole speech. That little girl blew my whole speech out the water. Okay? Not okay, but okay. I took the red eye flight the next night, that night, got into New York at about seven in the morning. I went straight to my mother. I got to her about eight o'clock. Hi, Ma. Hi, Zachariah. What's doing? How was your trip to California? I'm like, great. I said, Ma, I have to ask you, Mechila, forgiveness. Now, girls, it's not the first time Rabbi Wallstein asked his mother forgiveness. I wasn't such a great kid. She goes, oh, now what did you do? I'm like, no, this is this one. What I want to tell you, as we say in America, is going to take the cake. You're not going to believe what I'm going to tell you. She's like, with you, I believe anything. I'm like, okay. So, Ma, I gave a speech last night to these orphans. And there was this little girl named Devairi with big eyes. She asked me if I had a mother when I was seven. Ma, at that moment, I really was hoping in my heart that you would have died, like, when I was three. What? I'm like, yeah, because then... If I would have, if you would have died when I was three, and I told this girl I was three, then she would be so happy because then I could be like Rabbi Wallerstein. You see, he also didn't have a mommy, but I blew her out of the water by saying, "I said, but my, it gets worse." It was worse. My mother says worse. I'm like, yeah. Then she asked me if you're still alive, and really, I was like, oh my god, I can't tell her you're still alive because then she's really going to be upset. So I was like hoping, like, did you? Of course, I wanted you to be alive, and I didn't want you to die. But for that one second, for my story. It would have been perfect. She says, you know, you're really a Meshuggah kid, but I'm like you. I realized I didn't go through that trauma. I have other traumas. I didn't go through that trauma. So 
so I can't help her. Yeah, I can give her a speech, but I can't set an example. There's no better speech. There's no better, I would say, chizuk. No better chizuk than meeting someone who went through trauma and made it. Set an example. Because all the speeches, like, what do you know what I went through? But if the person went through it and there's a common denominator and that person made it, that person doesn't even have to speak. Because that person set an example. So when you ask me a question, you ask me a question. If Hashem gives us a challenge that we can that we can cope with, why do we find it hard? And why do some people have so many challenges? We find it hard when we're going through it, maybe. But if we use those challenges to help others, the challenge no longer is something bad that happened to us. The challenge now is something good because I used it to do something good. And that's why we go through what we go through. It says that Abraham Avinu went through all 10 tests so we would make it easier for the Jewish nation when they had to jump into a fire in the Spanish Inquisition. Where did they get the kayak to jump into a fire? The Abraham Avinu jumped into a kifshan of Aish. Where did the Jews have a, have a, could come out of the Holocaust? Not as victims, but as victors, as survivors, because he went through Akedas Yitzchak. He went through Lech Lecha. He went through many, many, many tests. And Maisa Avois, Simen Labanim, what you go through, your trauma, is what helps your children, your grandchildren, or other people's children. And that's why we go through what we go through. And the line I'm going to end with for everyone, and we'll talk about Mitzvah Hashem, what we're going to do next week, Mitzvah Hashem. I'll be in touch with Hadassah, and we'll try to do it the same night, Mitzvah Hashem, Monday night, maybe maybe same nine o'clock your time. Um, and thank you, Hadassah Beilan, and thank you to your father, and thank you for everyone, you know, for being here. So I want to end with this line. Rav Shimshim Pinkus, all of us Shalom, was a big tzaddik. He asked a question. And actually, it's one of the questions that's in this, uh, in this paper, which I'm keeping. One of the questions is about Bechira, about choice. And he asked the question and he said, really, a person doesn't have Bechira. Because the big stuff in your life, you don't have a choice. That you were born a boy, not you guys, you were born a girl. You didn't have a choice. That you're born a Jew, unless you're a Ger. You didn't have a choice. You're born a Hasidic family, Litvish family, modern family, non-firm family. Not your choice. That you live in England or you live in America. Not your choice. Who are you going to marry 40 days before you come to the world? They announce it. Not your choice. So he asks, girls, what is your choice? What's Bechira? Strawberry ice cream, vanilla, or chocolate? He said, you might as well be a tree. You don't have any choices. And people, including me, who went through trauma as a little boy, was it your choice? You didn't ask to be traumatized? So, what do we have Bechira in? And he answered, unbelievable. He said, the only choice a person has in life is what to do with the things they had no choice. Step in, step up, or step out, step down. 
The Jews in Auschwitz, the Jews in the Holocaust, it wasn't their choice. It wasn't their choice, the six million Jews. It wasn't their choice. But what do you do with it after the Holocaust, that you made it out alive? So one Holocaust person that I was very close to said to me, I asked him, he's 96 years old. I asked him, did you have any questions after the war? You saw all these people die and your whole family died. Your city, they burnt down. Your shoe, they burnt down. They killed everybody. Like, didn't you have like a, come on, tell me the truth. I won't go off the derech. Didn't you have a question to Hashem? Like, a lot of people who went through the Holocaust went off the derech and married not non-Jews. And how could God be in the world if he let that happen? I'm like, did you have a question? And this 96-year-old from man who davened for the army, he was the chazin Roshanim Kippurai Davin, a chazin at 96, said, yes, Rabbi Wallerstein, I had a huge question. I'm thinking to myself, ah, okay, at least he's real. Like, these people walking around, I have no questions. Like, I said, what was that question? He said, I asked Hashem, why me? Why did you save me? Like, I don't deserve it. There's so many better people than me. But I promise you, Hashem, that before I die, I'm going to make sure that it was worth it for you to save me. He said, Ray Wallstein, my grandchildren are in Brisk and in Mir. And he went through his whole family. I sat there and listened to his whole family. And he said, I'm 96 and at 120, I'm going to go to Shemayim and say, good choice, Hashem. Look what I did. He didn't have a choice about going through the Holocaust. Some people choose to step in and brought the whole Yiddish guy to America and to England and to everywhere. And some people chose to step out. In the Holocaust, you can't even judge anyone who stepped out. But that's what Rav Shem said. What you go through in life, that that's your parents, that your parents got divorced, or your dysfunctional family, whatever it is that wasn't your choice, your choice is, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? Get sick? Make yourself crazy? Or... I come from a dysfunctional family. I'm going to make sure that my kids are going to be functional. And I'm going to help kids and build something for kids who are dysfunctional. That's your choice. And if you wake up in the morning and Hashem's saying that I love you and I need you, you should be very excited that the God of the world needs the Vairi and Shira and Adina and Bracha and Chani and Dasi and Dasi and Deb and Ilani and all the different all the different people that are that are on. Hashem said this morning, "I need you." Amazing. And now Hadassah by Ilan knows why she woke up this morning because she put this together. Amazing, Hashem. All of you, Hashem has given us life, which gave us potential. Very special, especially now when people are going through this disease and many people passed away. You have to look at like this Holocaust survivor. Why did I survive? Hashem, I'm going to make sure because I survived that you're going to be happy that you chose me to survive. Shabbat Slacha and Bracha, everyone. And thank you very much. And we'll talk to you, Mr. Hashem, next week. Hatzlacha. Bye. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.